Well, Brent is gay, and Caitlin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Hello. Uh, welcome to Homo Superior Creator Crush. Uh, I am Adam. I'm Clark. And we are here uh, with the absolutely wonderful Jeremy Whitley. Creator Crush is an interview series, excuse me, where we chat with our favorite comic book creators learning more about their work, their thoughts on the industry, and what makes them so darn special. Uh, we've got Jeremy Whitley. He recently wrote the wonderful Love Unlimited story on Marvel Unlimited, where Gwenpool came out as both Arrow and Ace, that's asexual and aromantic, further expanding the canon of LGBTQIA plus Marvel characters. Uh, his previous Marvel work also includes The Unstoppable Wasp with Nadia Van Dyne and The Future Foundation. Uh, he's also an accomplished writer of his own original characters, uh, most importantly, The Dog Knight, which just came out and was published in mid-May. Then you've got Princeless, as well as Raven, the Pirate Prince. Jeremy, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us today. Oh, I'm glad to do it. Thank you for having me. Um, we are just huge fans overall and obviously kind of like came into the zone from Gwenpool, but reading The Dog Knight particularly for, for this conversation really, really became uh, huge fans overall. Before we kind of jump into all your actual content, um, we usually kind of start out by asking everybody, you know, what's your secret origin? How did you find yourself um, in the industry? Um, it's it's weirdly complicated in that uh, I, you know, was in love with comics as a kid. My my dad was a uh, is a big comics nerd. Um, you know, we had a uh, local store where I lived in uh, Livermore, California, which is a suburb of a suburb of a suburb of San Francisco, um, and uh, we had like a, uh, a signing with Stan Lee out there at one point back before, like that was a thing that was impossible to get uh, or cost a lot of money back when they were promoting the uh, 2099 line was first coming out. I, I remember this distinctly. Um, and the signing was free as long as uh, you bought a 2099 comic to go with the thing. So um, I went with my dad and we, we, uh, bought some comics and and got them signed and uh i think i didn't know much about the like creative process behind comics at that point um but i brought like my own uh comic that i had made in school uh, it was a little like x-men story that i had written in school and illustrated in you know crayon and colored pencil myself and uh was like showing that to stanley um along with like uh you know getting the book i bought signed uh, and he gave me a like, keep writing, uh, Excelsior <laughs> kind of thing. So, um, you know, I, I feel like that really stuck with me. And uh, I think that story is hilarious to me because it's it's a cherished memory, but it also is uh, the reason that I am maybe one of the only people in the world who have a uh, Doom 2099 signed by Stan Lee, a comic <laughs> he did not write. Um, the, the the concept have never occurred to me that uh, I would buy the book that he had written for him to sign. It was just like I had <laughs> to buy a book for him to sign stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I have probably the only, if not one of the only, Doom twenty ninety nine number ones signed by Stanley. A true um, collector's item, if I've ever heard one. It sounds like <laughs> yeah, something nobody is even looking for. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I kept, I did keep writing. Uh, I fell out of comics for a while because we moved to uh, the middle of Western North Carolina and there were no like comic shops around where I was living. Um, and 
of all things, you know, I was working at a blockbuster video out of college and uh, there was a comic shop around the corner from us. And the guy who worked there used to do nothing but watch videos all day long. So we'd come into blockbuster four or five times a day and get new movies and then just go sit over there and watch them. Um, and uh, he was going through seasons of Buffy and I was like, oh, it's my, uh, my wife is a huge fan of, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And he was like, well, you know, they just started a new season in the comics. You know, she'd probably love that. Mm -hmm. And that's how I ended up getting back in the comics as I went in to pick up uh, copies of the first couple issues of Buffy for my wife. And in the process got recommended uh, Whedon's X-Men stories. And then um, because I, I enjoyed um, the stuff Brian K. Vaughn did on Buffy, they were like, hey, you should check out this book, Why the Last Man. And uh, ah. that was the one that just kind of like, got its claws in me and I, you know, never went back. I love it. Well, and you had, you went to um, uh, what, school, university, whatever, like your education was in writing and things like that, right? Like, was mm -hmm. that, were you kind of just doing it all or was that intent focused to do fictional or creative, true creative writing versus more like, you know, uh, corporate writing type stuff? Oh, uh, creative writing was always the stuff I wanted to do. You know, I was really thinking about screen and playwriting and, and books and stuff like that. And the, the thought that you could um, be a comics writer who had absolutely no artistic skill uh, had never occurred to me. And then as, you know, as I was going through reading issues of those comics, it occurred to me that I could actually uh, write comics and, and not be able to draw a stick figure correctly. So like, <laughs> uh, that's sort of like where it clicked for me. And I was like, oh, I can, I can do this. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I haven't stopped doing it yet. So. Yeah, no, I, and I mean, yeah, your your line of work, whether it be your more own original properties or even within the Marvel uh, universe is kind of rapidly expanding. So um, kind of jumping into our first seg segment of expertise and, you know, your Marvel content. Um, how did you get approached by Marvel for, you know, I guess from the start, beyond, you know, Stanley signing your June 99, how did you kind of get involved with the Future Foundation, then to Wasp, and and even up through this more recent um, Gwenpool storyline? Um, so I had been sort of hassling editors at Marvel for a while, just sort of like sending my stuff as I was getting you know more princess books and and some other work from around the around the comics community, sort of sending that in and being like, look, I can I can do it. I can do what you uh, what you need me to do. I'd love to write for Marvel. <laughs> and my my first gig was actually during um, Secret Wars. I got uh, an opportunity to write a short story in their uh, anthology that was uh, Secret Wars, Secret Love. Um, and I had originally pitched uh, the, a secret that everybody knows. I had originally pitched a uh, Kate Bishop and America Chavez story, mm. um, which made it all the way to being in the process of being illustrated before somebody along the editorial line pointed out that, uh, oh, there's only one version of America Chavez that exists in all realities. So, uh, you know, this can't possibly be an alternate reality where these two characters are together. Um, <laughs> and it can't be our reality. It can't be the 616 reality, I guess. Um, so, you know, they, they scrapped that one and asked me to write one of the other things that I had pitched, which is a uh, Misty Knight and Iron Fist story. Um, which, yeah, there's a little eight-pager in there that's 
uh, still like one of my favorite things I've written. It came together really great. And uh, was a, an odd thing where they uh, they were like, hey, you know, we're looking at some artists for this. And, you know, would you be OK with Guri Hiru illustrating this? You know, I was like, would, would that would I be OK with Guri Hiru? Yes. I would, <laughs> like, they're amazing. Why would I not? Um, and so, yeah, they they drew the first thing I did for Marvel. Um, then I did a couple of other like short stories from various tie-ins. Um, and then uh, I was approached by a sort of combination of, of uh, Tom Brevoort and uh, Mark Wade about doing stuff with, with Wasp because um, they had, you know, read my other stuff. They were impressed with, with Princess and all that and thought, you know, with a young teen superhero that uh, it would be right in my wheelhouse. And um, then I, I went and wrote that book till it was canceled twice. <laughs> and, you know, that, <coughs> excuse me, that led to, uh, you know, I, I did a couple of other stories here and there. I did a Thor versus Hulk story and Future Foundation and um, a few uh, other things. And then, yeah, this the Gwynpool one is sort of like, there's a big gap in there where during the pandemic, I've been working on a lot of other graphic novels and stuff. And then, uh, yeah, Gwynpool is the first one I've done in a little while. Love it. Um, well, it's definitely, you know, one that we really enjoyed. You know, we've been... We track uh, the unlimited. Really, I feel like Clark, you track them the best. If Clark will jump into our, you know, ongoing channel uh, for Homeless Superior chat and just be like, "We got to read this. We got to read that." It builds off of this. It shifts these things. And so I think Clark, you were the one who really kind of dropped in, like, "This is the story. This is what we want us to start reading." And you know, beyond just the general Marvel content we're trying to consume and any X-related content, anything that really has a, a strong vibe for the queer community. Is certainly where we want to start putting our, our time and energy um, into. But Clark, I'll turn it over to you to ask a few more yeah. questions about the book. Well, sorry, I forgot. I didn't do any vocal warm-ups before this. As you heard with Adam <laughs> earlier, we just didn't do, we didn't do Badagatas or Red Leather, Yellow Leather, as I just fucked that one up. Um, I, obviously, he just mentioned it, uh, um, Love Unlimited. And we kind of stopped after a while doing X-Men Unlimited, talking about it on our podcast. And every once in a while, I'd be like, we need to do this. And then I started in Love Unlimited in this one, the Deadpool one. The uh, Shun one, um, Tuan one, just fantastic. And this one was especially fantastic point where I was like, we need to do this. We don't talk about Ace enough just because there aren't really any Ace characters mostly in comics. Um, so it was, I was very pleased to bring this to their attention. And I guess I'll get started on it. So obviously Gwynpool's in it. I was very happy with Wither and Elixir, who I want to have a uh, enemies to lovers story arc sometime in the future because they're just so interesting together. And obviously Julie Powers, who I think you have a fondness for based on the fact that she's showing up in uh, multiple series of yours. Um, so we get right into it. So in the run, how did this, I mean, just how did you decide, how did you decide to write an ace character or how did Marvel decide they wanted an ace character written and why Gwynpool? Um, so my, uh, my editor uh, on both this and Unstoppable Wasp, Alana, um, it had been a conversation we'd had about Nadia. We felt like, uh, you know, Nadia in, in the Wasp was a, a character who would be asexual, that we thought that would be a good fit, that that was kind of how we were both envisioning the character. And uh, it just wasn't something that, like, one Marvel was looking for at that point. Um, they just, I think, hadn't quite gotten to the point that they, um, I think some of the people higher up even knew what asexual meant. Um, but that, uh, you know, 
we already had sort of a lot of ongoing stuff in that story, especially concerning uh, Nadia's mental health and everything. Um, that, you know, it's kind of got shut down as like, that's too many things. <laughs> it's too many things, too many stories to tell in that amount of space. Um, so, you know, maybe we'll come back to it later. Um, and during the like intervening years, I've uh, come out as being demisexual. And it was something that, uh, you know, Alana and I have in common is we're both sort of in the, uh, the A-spec, in the spectrum. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, she had been sort of lobbying to do a story in this uh, Love Unlimited because we're telling all sorts of um, love stories in there. There are a lot of, you know, queer love stories in there. And she had wanted to have a chance to do something uh, with uh, an asexual character um, actually coming out and saying all of that. Um, which is not always an easy thing to do, particularly with people in, in the A spectrum in uh, a superhero story, uh, because it has to be a case where like, there's not a case where they just get a crush on somebody and you can tell that story as part of the ongoing thing. Like uh, you kind of have to tell people. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, in, in this case, we had talked about um, Gwen before, and I think she has a lot of like, vibes that I think a lot of ace people relate to um and you know she was one of the ones that Alana had been pitching and she contacted me to you know let me know that uh she had gotten the okay to go ahead with this story and uh she wanted to put together a whole team that was on the ace spectrum so uh you know she put together uh, myself and her artist and her colorist are all uh on the ace spectrum as well as our assistant editor um and yeah it's sort of like that was what they had when they came to me was like, this is what we're gonna do. We know where she's starting because we know where she is right now. She's on Krakoa, she's doing the mutant thing. Uh, it's basically more or less where she got left at the, the end of uh, Strikes Back. Um, and you know, gotta figure out how to get her from there to uh, figuring this stuff out and all that. And so we kind of sort of like sat down and paced it out and we're like, what, what are the beats we wanna hit in here? Um, and of course, I, I brought in uh, my beloved and uh, person I treat horribly, Julie Power. I've now put her in two <laughs> relationships that, that I've broken up. So um, she's, she's been through some stuff between Future Foundation and this. And, and gosh, before, before I came along, Avengers Academy and The Loners, um, she's really been through it. She did seem very much more at least healed i know she still got sort of the at least she got to help a friend through their their journey and their experience but you're right like i having read this first and then gone back to the future foundation stuff it was always very like oh yeah man she's always having something going on yeah she's sort of even in avengers academy she sort of became like the queer teenage hero sherpa she's just sort of like helping the other queer teens come out and figure out yeah. their stuff um yeah, it's she's she's had a, quite a path. And and I she will... didn't run away like she they were she was dating and then suddenly like I oh, shoot, I just lost my head, Nico and um whatchamacallit started dating while instead of they kind of threw her aside at some point. Yeah, she so... was dating Carolina. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Then within within the length of one story, she got de-aged to be a child and then re-aged and dumped by her girlfriend <laughs> uh, for 
for the the girl that her girlfriend had been hanging out with for Before some time episode i mean issue one of the entire run of not run but their existence yeah uh poor julie <laughs> she's had a rough time um i particularly appreciate what you noted in the sense like to assemble an entire team particularly on not just a like lgbtq plus team but specifically people that identify on the asexual spectrum i think it's just i think that's so amazing and i don't know i just want to highlight that, that i'm like that's the kind of representation that needs to kind of keep happening um and to to see i don't know if you want to comment on anything like how how was it in working in that environment versus like what might have been a more like you know you being the only person that really understood or connected with the content like just kind of getting a little bit more into that yeah i it was really interesting because i think it's something that um we don't talk about that much there's not that many stories about especially in comics and even more so in, in superhero comics so having a, a group of us there to sort of like I would write a thing and then like the editors would really react to it. And then, and then like, I would see the point where the artists had read it and I'd start getting emails about like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Like that's the thing that happened to me too. Like um, I really feel that. Cause like, especially there's a, there's a gag in there about like how she really wants to date with her because like, there's nothing sexier than a relationship where the guy can't touch you um, <laughs> like Gambit and Rogue. And I was yeah. like, there's a lot of us that were like, oh yeah, we did really, really like that relationship. And what does that say? I love that. Um, well, kind of like flipping off of the, the overall content in the book, it's also how it was uh, presented. So, you know, when you're working on Marvel Unlimited, it's a lot of the digital scrolling versus like flipping pages. Um, did you have to change your obviously their art style changes slightly but did you have to change your writing style at all for this story in order to fit that more virtual consumption um a little bit it's a it's a strange thing because i imagine it would have been if it had been a more standard style story uh an action story um it would have been a, a quite a bit different but i think with this um you know there's there's not as much of them sort of an established format for romance comics in modern times anyway um yeah and so it was it was interesting because in a lot of cases it just got to be like all right you know we're this is just going to work its way down the page you know she can go i think it works really well with Gwen because she, her stuff is so sort of stream of consciousness anyway um that her thoughts can sort of follow her down the page as she's going through these various things um it worked really well i don't know how anybody else does it but with hers, it was just like, all right, yeah, this this makes sense to me. Um, you know, we can have her sort of dancing and, you know, then the uh, the idea, I, I don't know when exactly I came up with it. I think it was like, as I was first outlining the story that like the way she interacted with the media would be different in this one than in normal comics because part mm -hmm. of her ability is, you know, she pops up out of the comics and she can see all the continuity laid out before her um, and, you know, move around in and out of stories. Um, but in this one, because it's a, a digital comic, it's like, oh, um, she pops out and she's in the internet, obviously. Like, right, right. Just, that was just the way my brain put it together. Um, and then, like, literally having her, you know, dive out of the panel and descend into the the hell that is the internet um, <laughs> was, like, worked really well for uh, the format and everything. 
Yeah, no, that's it's certainly the thing in my mind as I was thinking through and you're talking about kind of how you approach what you think about that particular sequence of her in the internet was like, a, oh yeah, this is great. It's a great visual cue, but it's also uh, perfectly fit for a character like you mentioned. Um, and so we did obviously talk about, you mentioned representation of a scenario kind of growing, but we're obviously kind of, I think it's even more lagging behind a representation than many of the other letters of our, our wonderful uh, rainbow alphabet, but you've got, you know, Todd and Bojack Horseman, Lord Varys and Game of Thrones, Yelena Belova actually, well, I think she's confirmed in the comics, but not necessarily in the MCU, but I hope they kind of keep that up. And then obviously Nadia Van Dyne that you wrote, as you mentioned, um, what are you really hoping to see for representation next in the space? Uh, you know, where are there characters that are top of mind for you that like you would ever want to work with thinking about them as asexual, like just trying to get a sense of how you'd like to see that keep growing. Um, um hmm. that's an interesting one. Cause, uh, yeah, I mean, Nadia has recently been confirmed actually in the, the pride comic that came out just a few weeks ago, as, as we're talking about it now, which is, a Gwynpool centered comic where she's putting together yeah. a, a team of, of ace heroes. Um, I think Yelena is still unofficial, but uh, there's a lot of people in the community that are like, yes, absolutely. Obviously she is. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'd love to do more with that. I mean, honestly, I'd love to do more with it with uh, Gwyn and Nadia. Um, now that, you know, Nadia is officially in that space. I, I love her to death. I would love to do more stuff with sort of her and, and the other agents of girl, uh, most of whom are queer as well. Uh, so having a chance to, you know, uh, play with those guys again is always on my list of things I'd like to do. Um, as far as uh, other characters that I I would like to see, honestly, it's um, I, I want to see all that stuff sort of happen in a in a way that's uh, part of the story that you know fits in there. Honestly, it's um, the, the one thing that I feel like we are lacking in, in that space is having those stories be part of the general continuity, um, be something that appears and, and is talked about in um, books that have a, an issue 10, for instance, um, you know, things that are, are ongoing and, and that people will read monthly, um, rather than being constrained more to the, the digital and specials spaces. Um, that's the biggest thing I'd like to see because um, it's it feels uh, like it's a little walled off to some extent. Um, I mean, X Men obviously in the last couple of years has uh, been been quite a bit queerer than historically. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I'd like to see more of sort of that spreading out and more of those stories. I'd also, I mean, I'd love to see not an asexual but a queer storm uh, in comics because I feel like that's always sort of been implied um mm -hmm. but she's uh she's a, a little sacred i feel like and you know they uh they they want to keep her in i don't know a certain box yeah they we talk a, a decent chunk on podcasts and at panels and stuff well it's really our uh one of our our, our friends on the pod kaylin who never lets us go to bed without knowing that Wolverine and Storm were originally written as bisexual. <laughs> and so <laughs> are intended. And it's about to your point, that's exactly the kind of, I think, you know, we, we also kind of have a lot of dialogue around like, do we want to see new characters? Do we want to see old characters come into their truths? And then, you know, I think for certain characters it works and for certain it doesn't. 
Um, but I, but I appreciate, I, I definitely understand and appreciate everything you're, you're describing. And I think we've talked about that as well in the sense of, you know, even just the unlimited, like we were just talking about, you know, you've got these great digital products that may not always be printed. They're not going to be on the newsstands. You're not, people aren't going to see them as much unless you get this one subscription access to like see these things. And it's a lot harder to just sort of pick up and plug and play um, into those. So I, 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 that makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah, I'd love to see that sort of thing make it more into the the MCU and the cartoons and things like that, where, you know, I feel like there's been huge sort of advances for queer representation in the cartoon space generally yeah. in the last five to 10 years, but not Disney Marvel, cart or not Marvel cartoons specifically, Disney stuff right. is funny, but um, yeah, not in the superhero stuff. I always big up Owl House on Disney Plus as a good example of all that. We had a panel and I screamed it and said, everyone go home and watch that show and said, listening to us. <laughs> um, Absolutely. We were just talking about uh, Netflix's uh, Dead End Paranormal Park. Yeah. Um, yeah. Brent, Brent loves that. Yeah. For, for anybody who hasn't podcast. seen it, like the two leads are like uh, a, a trans man and an autistic girl. So like they're very like in-depth loving interesting you know uh characters rather than i mean i think both of those are types of characters who are often stereotyped and often not in kids stories at all um and they're done excellently in that show so we also mentioned on podcasts a lot about magic being possibly on the a spectrum and i know on the internet everyone mentions that constantly but reason i'm bringing it up is that when slash if hopefully when you write an x book what would be some members of your team? I don't want you to say it all in case it, there's levels of possible spoilering, but what kind of characters would be included in that? Um, I, the, the little bit of X-Men I have written, I wrote one, one story back during the, uh, um, back during <laughs> that, that brief time where there were giant, uh, there were giant monsters running around everywhere and everybody had a, one issue special for uh, all of the giant monsters, Monsters Unleashed. Uh, oh, I did a, yeah. I did an all-new X-Men oh, story. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, they were like, all right, you, we need you to use Laura X-23 in the story. And I was like, great, got it. Can I use Gambit? Because, <laughs> like, I will have Gambit in this story if, if I can use Gambit. And he will be here. I know he's not part of this team, but he is going to show up um this, this thing is going to be if i have to sit in new orleans in, i will yeah um <laughs> they had a really good team up when they were in um of the that one x23 series but eight years ago Mar yeah was it marjorie lose i don't remember yeah both uh both marjorie um, lose and yeah. then uh tom's one that came after that they had a lot of uh gambit and x23 but i i love gambit to death uh i i want him to uh I've always wanted to write like a Gambit year one kind of story. The sort of like, you know, soft teenager who's trying to like, he's trying to steal cars to impress girls and things like that. Um, <laughs> you know, but yes, yeah, so I, I think, right. yeah, I think, uh, you know, bisexual Gambit, always a little like trying to be cooler than he actually is. Like that's the, the spot <laughs> for me is like, you know, he's, he's really desperately trying to be, what he looks like but he's a lot yeah. you know softer on the inside than that yeah but, i support that 
I just read one. I don't want to get into stuff that you didn't write, but the one shot in the uh, the queer issue that we, the pride issue was him and um like at, and he's doing the same kind of thing moderately, trying to like you know make himself seem cool in front of her. So I'm interested, definitely. So we get into uh, unstoppable wasp, Adam. Yeah, so we had quite a bit. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll kind of hit some highlights of it. You had two uh, longer, like eight issue, ten issue runs. Um, you know, I guess I, I think based on some of the stuff you're talking about, you know, it was. Would love to hear a little bit more of your experience in writing more of an ongoing series versus minis, or just kind of how that process works, how you think about it, how you work on it. Um, and and then my other question, just kind of following up from that, is with those two experiences, you know. What did you learn or kind of take away that you are maybe now applying to to your work today? Like anything that kind of learn lessons learned, if you will. Um, yeah, it was it was um, <clears throat> it was a great experience. I mean, there was a lot of there's a lot of things to to be upset about, especially when um, <clears throat> excuse me, especially when comics get cut short. But like, I'm really happy with the stories we got to tell in there. Um, I think like there's not an issue of, of either of those runs that I'm I'm unhappy with just because we got to eventually do the story that we wanted to do. Um, I really enjoyed. I think the first the first thing to me when I I got offered that job was like, all right, like what sort of story should this be? And I think um, what occurred to me was there's a whole like period of of marvel comics and comics in general where like there's sort of like these two-fisted science tales um you know with with characters like doc savage or even the fantastic four um that like you get these sort of hero scientists going out doing uh super science and because of sort of the era that those are popular there's very few women if any in that space um and I was like, this is a, an opportunity to have a female scientist who like goes out and has science-based adventures. Um, and I, I think the, the two things that I wanted to do were like, give us a chance to do actual science and adventuring in there, but also to like bring in a, a group of more diverse characters than you know, Nadia is. Um, Nadia is certainly an interesting character with a, a lot of stuff going on, but she is also um, yet a another plucky white team um <clears throat> so i wanted to like put a team around her that was uh you know more diverse and had sort of their own things going on in hopes that they sort of grow into the marvel universe so i, I started girl in there and uh that was like that was the goal of that first run which you know i had hoped was going to be longer but ended up having to be wrapped up pretty quickly um and we got a little we managed to get a little talk in there with uh Janet, you know, had Janet actually uh, narrating a couple issues and, and doing, you know, her own story. Um, because the other thing that I really wanted to do in that first volume that I got to do was, uh, it really bothers me that there's this sort of thing that everybody knows about Janet and Hank, which is that like, there's an abuse story there, but we only ever hear about it from Hank's perspective. And like Janet never talks about it. There's never, I mean, Janet's never had her own solo series until just recently. So like giving her a chance to like, like actually talk about that to Nadia and, and be the one talking about her own experience was like, that was a thing I wanted to make sure to, to get to do in there somewhere. Um, 
And the thing I didn't get to do in the first volume that I really wanted to do was, was tell a story about Nadia discovering that um, she's, she has bipolar uh, because Hank was, uh, had by, or has, had, has, don't know if he's dead or alive at the moment. Um, <clears throat> whenever this, whenever you're listening yeah. to this, he may be dead or alive. <laughs> yeah, it could yeah. be anything based on Well, he is dead right now, at least. He could be dead or alive or anywhere in between. Over from, but who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, he stole my next two questions there, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, for, um, I wanted to make sure to tell that story because I thought it was a good opportunity to tell like a good 21st century story about mental health and superhero comics, because, um, you know, the original story where he's, where he hits Janet and then uh, goes crazy, has a mental break, like that they've described four or five different things throughout uh, history, varying from multiple personalities to bipolar to all these other things. Um, was obviously not handled very well um, but you know they didn't really know uh, what we know now about a lot of those conditions and about mental health generally um, so like having an opportunity to have this character who is without question like a, a positively regarded character somebody who is upbeat and happy um, and still has to deal with with mental health issues um, was important to me and we didn't get to do that in the first run and luckily we got to come back for the second one. And I was like, I know that's what I'm going to do this time. Like that is the story I want to make sure to get to. So we built sort of the aim story to get to that point where, you know, there's these series of things that Nadia is trying to juggle. Um, and then on top of that, her, her friends get attacked and everything that she's sort of been building gets threatened. And she goes into sort of this defensive mode of, of trying to fix everything. And, um, you know, unfortunately, that's sort of a, a triggering event for her um, actually having a, you know, bipolar episode. And, like, we got a chance to really tell that story and to, like, interview a lot of folks who uh, who deal with bipolar disorder themselves or who are, you know, psychologists who, who work on that stuff, who have worked with folks and, and be able to tell a story that, like, got a little bit of all of that and, um, you know, dealt with the way dealt with the same disorder as Hank theoretically has in a, a way that would have loved to have had it told in the first place. Yeah, I was going to say I have bipolar disorder and I wanted to applaud the fact that this is like the first time in comics it felt right and it made sense and like your 18 issue run is much better in terms of health than the last 40 years, 50s, oh god, almost 60 years of his comic existence. Um, yeah, so that was fantastic. I I talk about my bipolar and podcast a lot. Polaris, Hank, Pam, and Tiger are like my favorite characters, mostly for that very reason, I guess. But yeah, it was excellent writing. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was important to me to get it right because I, I think that's that's something for me that like if I'm gonna tackle something big like that, I'm gonna like make sure that I do it the right way because I, I don't want to like jump in here with both feet and just absolutely have my facts wrong and screw it up. And I wanted to like run it by people and, you know, get sort of that reaction from people that was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's what it feels like. Um, that's, you know, that is something that I recognize um, in, in myself. Um, you know, much the same way that, that we had that reaction with the Gwenpool stuff um, of like, Oh yes, that seems, that feels very familiar. Um, and, you know, there is, 
I, I think there was uh, some contention with some people because there is a a sort of fight with Nadia as she's you know going through this episode. It's like, well, she hurts people. It's like, well, she doesn't really try to hurt people is the thing. Mm-hmm. Like people are trying to stop her from doing a thing that she feels like she has to do. And she is doing what she has to to get them out of her way. Um, you know, and that was that was an important distinction for me is not that she is she is violent, but that she is driven to do this one thing or these many I mean, things, honestly. Yeah, it's also good that some of the characters understand it ahead of time slash as she's doing it instead of just everyone reacting horribly to her. And she's like immediately just alone. Yeah, that was that was important to me as well. I'm. I, it's hard with stuff like that. You don't want to like stop the action and be like, mm-hmm. let me explain bipolar disorder to you. Yeah. But like, you know, you need to have a, a way to have, you know, people telling that story as you're telling the bigger story. I was going to jump in and just say like, it's very, I know particularly I'm a big horror fan. I know particularly in horror, I feel like there's a lot of more art house, but even in some bigger kind of movies, they are dealing a lot more with either mental health or that like they're, they're taking on concepts and experiences that I think people have juggled, um, you know, in through therapy, through other support and just through their own lives and experiences and finding ways to help kind of people see process and understand when you don't, you know, you as a viewer may not experience or understand the exact same experiences of those, the characters or others who have, you know, these kind of uh, things. So it's just, I, I think it's all very cool that I'm, I'm really happy to see how reality is continuing to infuse itself into what used to be more like, you know, like I said, 60 years ago, just like people going, get over here, I'm gonna fight you. And like horror people just getting slashed and killed. Like there's a lot more thought and nuance, I think putting into the, the story content uh, these days. Yeah, I, uh, on the topic of, of horror movies, I actually do a, uh... Uh, a podcast myself with a, a few of my friends called progressively horrified which is all about like the intersection of progressive politics and horror movies ah, um, nice. and and how how that stuff is handled you know be it uh feminism or race or uh gender or lgbt issues stuff like that um and yeah mental health is i think still one of those that a lot of people are trying to figure out um <laughs> even even folks we're generally pretty good at it like Ari Aster um yeah you know, mid, at the beginning of midsummer he's like yes her sister had bipolar disorder and has killed her whole family I was like <laughs> that's all we're gonna get I forgot that that was the condition that caused the start of that movies and yeah that's, <laughs> that's not really fitting that's literally what happened during the podcast was I was talking about all this other stuff and like uh, our our guest on that one, uh, Tina Horan, who's fantastic, was like, uh, yeah, what do you guys think about the depiction of bipolar disorder in this? And I was like, oh, wait, I forgot. That's <laughs> <laughs> in the first five minutes and it never comes back and it's awful. <laughs> it's an awful depiction. Do you have any favorite movies you guys have been doing lately or did in the last, your, your run of the podcast so far? Um, so we're, we're just finishing up uh, Pride, obviously. So we we try to do movies during June that have uh, you know, queer issues in them. Sometimes they're you know they're the more uh, you know Friday the Thirteenth Part Two or uh, no sorry Nightmare on oh, yeah. Elm Street Part Two. Um, 
where it's like there's a lot of queer issues in this one but nobody says any uh, of this stuff uh, but this this month we've been doing i think all of the ones that we did were from like the last year um we did uh sissy which is an australian horror movie i love that i enjoyed that did you like that? i i i adore that movie yeah um it manages to be both incredibly queer and a slasher um without really sacrificing either of those things um and uh the other one that we've watched that i i really liked was uh bodies 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 um mm-hmm. which is i know a very divisive film um <laughs> because it is sort of like yeah there's really nobody you should be rooting for or like in this movie <laughs> um, do you hate it yeah. yeah they're all kind did- of terrible um but then we also did um they slash them, which is one of the worst horror movies I've ever seen. So oh, bad. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's so it's so bad. Uh, I I think I named that episode "Trans Kids Love Cops" because like <laughs> the trans like the the trans girl who has been like misgendered this whole time and has been through all this shit is like, I yes, I'm gonna call the cops and lead this group of queer kids through the I guess Georgia rural woods to go like meet the cops on the highway and I was like that's gonna go great I'm sure (laughs) I'm sure there's never been an issue with a a trans woman on a Georgia highway meeting the cops like it sounds (laughs) sounds fantastic um it's got that movie had no idea what it wanted to be like I appreciate what they were doing and the concepts in it but like boy was that a weird three like nothing made sense in terms of how they were running it (laughs) yeah I was it, it's so interesting to me because like I feel like so we talked about those three and knock at the cabin which boy there's a lot to talk about with that movie but ah. like I feel like the two the two of those movies that were like straight directors all of the like queer people are angelic um and, and then the two that are obviously like queer people writing and directing them all the queer people are awful but like really <laughs> relatable. Um, yeah, like they slash them and oh, knock at the cabin is cool. There's, I don't, I don't know if y'all have watched I, that. I didn't even, I didn't want, I really like the book, knock, like the cabin at the end of the, at the world. So like at the end of the world. So I, that, I was like, I can't watch, like I wanted to, but I'm like, I know that I'll hate this regardless. So I should just not watch, watch it at all. Boy, like Dave Batista really did strap that whole thing to his back and try and pull it to the finish line. <laughs> but uh it just it wasn't there uh night shavalon is so is so bad we've, we've talked about old on there as well and that's oh, legitimately one of the movie. worst movies unwatchable so, so yeah but it's, it's so bad it's good though at least like it's like it is one of, it's a great hate watching film because you're just like what is happening <laughs> if it were a half an hour shorter i would agree with you <laughs> that's very fair <laughs> You got old just watching it. Um, no, that's I. I'm so glad we went down this like horror rabbit hole because Clark and I we had always talked about even with doing Home of Superior, we're like let's do horror stuff. But like you know, obviously there's some great stuff already out there. So I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, I do want to jump in just for the sake of time. I want to jump right into uh, your indie work and particularly the Dog Night. So this just came out uh, back in May this year. For anyone who doesn't know this book, what's your sort of like quick elevator pitch on why they might want to pick it up? Uh, it's about a um, 
non-binary middle schooler who gets recruited by a, a group of uh, magical dogs called the Pantheon to help them save the world. I love it. Nailed it. <laughs> the elevator just opened. <laughs> I have I have done uh, three conventions in the past four weeks, so I've got it down. So what my that? favorite? Oh, oh, sorry, keep going. No, I was gonna no, say, I was my favorite say, character what, what, was. I'm gonna stop speaking. Go. <laughs> what's one? What's like one fun, interesting tidbit that you didn't say on the the convention circuit that would like? What's like a fun, weird part of the, this story, even in the creation of it? Like just something strange and new that you haven't told anybody yet. Ooh, um, that's a tough one. I I think. Um. I think it's that like I I was really like doing my level best to to make all of these care all of the dogs as like equally fun and interesting and um, e exciting to to encounter in the story and I I've, I've been excited to see a lot of kids have had like different doing my best to like make all of the the dogs for each of these traits all of the various characters in the Pantheon equally like fun and funny and like and you know make it so you can enjoy each of them. Um, but I still think once you've stumbled on the idea of like, what if a Yorkie that thinks he's Batman, um, I was going to ask that exact thing. Yeah. It's really hard <laughs> to like improve on that. <laughs> yeah. Cause like terror is, is very much like, as like, I came up with the idea of, you know, Yorkshire terrier, Yorkshire terror. Um, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's, that's great. I literally can't. My favorite character was, was. How do you pronounce how do you pronounce him saying it in Scottish? Dog, dog. is the, the, the yeah. Dog. So it, oh, okay, there you go. There you go. The up, the up lilt there. Yeah. That's great. Love him. Yeah, he's he's a fun one. And uh I think we we get it a bit more in the second book, but his sort of like his actual superpowers are that like he cannot be moved if he doesn't want to be. Um so yeah, you know, this it's this just bulldog that will will sit down somewhere and uh you cannot move him no matter how hard you try i do have a question like you know so again we're always up for asking uh writers just in terms of the mediums and the differences and the experiences so you know particularly as it relates probably beyond the writing maybe even to the marketing the the way you think about you pitch it you know what's the difference for for listeners in terms of writing and thinking about an indie book like this or you know a unique book that you're kind of creating uh, versus like writing for a lot of the big house publishing the stuff we talked about in the the Marvel universe. Um, yeah, it's it's really different in a lot of ways. Um, I think you know this was Dognet was one of the first uh, cases I've had of like um, a straight up graphic novel, just you know all written in in one uh, in one jaunt rather than having a whole bunch of single issues of something. So uh, I think the like scale of the editing is part of what's what's very different because you know with a marvel book even if you know where you're going you're editing 20 pages at a time um you know forming the story as you go and you can you can change stuff and figure stuff out and um you know but then with a graphic novel like this it's you know 224 pages uh like an editor gives you one note and it's like oh that's that's gonna like knock down this whole house of cards i'm gonna have to <laughs> change all of that you know go go through the whole thing and mix it up um but also it, it gives you the opportunity to to do you know what you want to do um you know you you pitch the book you want to make and 
uh, hope that that somebody wants to make that book rather than you know at Marvel you can have a you can have a good idea of what you want to do um, you can have a better idea of, of it than you know what'll end up coming out but that's not always what fits the bill you're squeaking in between a dozen to a hundred other comics that are coming out at the same time um, trying to just work through what you can you, you write a character into a thing and then find out they're dying the month before the book's coming out so <laughs> you can't have them in that thing um which i had happened twice on future connection okay. um yeah that's it's that's a really specific issue to uh you know to marvel and dc where you're writing in this connected universe of like all right this character can't be over here because they're you know in this other thing that same month they can't get out of that thing for this reason. Um, so like that can be a real pain. It's also a real fun sandbox to play in sometimes. And it's sort of the price of admission for, for their stuff. Yeah. But uh, you know, not having to plan around 800 other things and yearly events and stuff like that is a, uh, is very nice. Yeah. Um, being able to, to know the story I want to tell and, and make sure that it gets there. Um, not have somebody, down the line in editorial I'll be like actually uh non-binary is not working for us with Frankie <laughs> we're gonna reset yeah well I mean we were uh particularly in the Marvel world right now the whole concept of Miss Marvel's death like the the poor I don't know our words I heard but like the poor handling of that like great she's dead oh but also she's on the cover of this in wedding between Emma Frost and, and Iron Man like at some point, it's like, okay, let, we all know they're going to come back anyway, but like, at least bring us bring us some sort of experience where we do care, we do grieve, and it's not just like waiting around for the, the story to reset itself and kind of start a, again. Um, but I love your, your you know, bringing up on Frankie, you know, so much of your work puts folks who are not necessarily represented, at least in like mainstream mediums, environments, content as main characters, and they're in the driver's seat of their own stories, you know. Um, why is representation in comics so important to you? Because I feel like it definitely comes up in a lot of your interviews and dialogues. Like, I just want to be able to like kind of note on that given, you know, who you are and your own experiences. Yeah, I mean, I think um, one of the, the biggest things for me was, was going into writing comics um, at the very specific time I was. Um, at the time that Princeless was coming out, um, you know, I was getting ready to have my first daughter. Um, you know, my my wife is black, my kids are black. So like um there weren't like any black female characters on the stands at that moment. Like there were no neither Marvel or DC had a or like a regular book fronted by a, a black female character. Uh, Marvel at that point I don't think had any fronted by female characters at all. Um and so, like, I, I really wanted to have, like, to give my kids something to see themselves in, um, both from the, the perspective of comics and from princesses. And that was, like, very much where I was coming from with that first story and something I wanted to see. And it just so happened that the first issue of Princeless came out the first month of the New 52, um, which is, like, the most sort of desolate landscape for, like, Hell yeah. any sort of, like feminist stories whatsoever there was very like unfortunately it all sort of hit that same note of not to pick on anybody but sort of like jeff johnsy and broiness of like you know everything is very edgy and um mm -hmm. you know, very like 
dude oriented. Yeah, um, yeah. And I was like, I, I don't, I don't want that. I, those aren't even the stories I enjoy reading. Um, so you know, I, I wanted to see more stuff with with diverse characters, and I, you know, I know, I know personally like the power of, of seeing yourself in a story. Um, so like, that was a big thing with that story. And then I think like. As I was writing that, a lot of uh, fans of Princess were like, well, you know, is, is Adrian gay? Like, it's, you know, a, a big question there. And I was like, well, it's sort of like beside the point with her story because it is about not needing somebody to rescue her. So if, you know, the reason she didn't want a prince to rescue her is because she's not into princes, and that's a very different story. Um, but, you know, that that inspired me to then, you know, sort of write Raven the Pirate Princess, which has a, uh, you know, gay lead. Um, in that story and to sort of spin that off and like it was very quick to see people's reactions to like being excited to seeing uh these sort of characters taking the leads in these stories and um it's important to me to uh to represent folks and, and provide sort of uh a, a story where, where people can see themselves as heroes um i i draw sort of a distinction in a lot of stuff of like i don't like to tell a lot of like coming out stories because I think one, there's a lot of those um, already out there, and, and two, I think those are best left to the people who have experienced them. Um, which you know, I, I think the closest thing I've written to that is is Gwen's story, uh, which is sort of coming out to herself at the same time as she's she's figuring it all out, and that is one that represents me much more than a, a lot of the other queer characters I've written in stories. So like having, you know, challenging myself to to tell different kinds of stories and to learn things and um, you know, not be afraid to have people read my stories and, and give notes and feedback on how I can do things better. Um, it's always very important to me because I think there are people who want or at least claim to want to tell different types of stories, but then do not want to hear what the people they seem to want to represent think of them. Um, uh... And like, it's, I think that's an important step that some people who make a lot more money than me skip. Um, and it's I, I think it's the most important step because it, it's nice to have you know a variety of characters in your stories but like if the truth is that you really want to represent people then like you need to you need to be willing to hear what those those people have to say about what you're doing um, and do your best to reflect sort of that real life experience so I've, I've always like I think I started um you know from princeless and definitely with raven of like throwing my you know scripts to, to friends that you know are queer women and um you know being like here tell me what's wrong with this like what did i what did i screw up <laughs> um you know I'll, I'll gladly you know proof your stuff uh if you proof mine and um you know and then with with more recent stuff of having like uh authenticity readers that like you know, deal specifically with stuff like disabilities and, and uh, mental issues and, and things like that, where, you know, somebody can provide feedback to you of like what, like not only just what makes sense, but like what is a trope that maybe you didn't even know existed if it's not something mm -hmm. that affects you. You know, if, you know, every every time of the five times this specific condition has shown up, it's been portrayed this way. Uh, you might not have even seen that, but somebody who is dealing with that has definitely seen it and noted it. I I love your concept generally of like that authenticity and you know even going back to the original example for Gwenpool of just like people 
truly seeing themselves. I always actually use um, the other two on HBO. I'm not, this, this season's okay, but like the first two seasons, it's it was so funny to basically, obviously have a show that's not intrinsically focused on being gay, but like is some of the best representation of like city gay male culture. Like I'm not speaking for everybody, but like particularly my own self and my own friends, like seeing ourselves, I'm like, oh, cause you could tell there was like a thoughtful intelligence on how it was being written. And it wasn't like, well, what do gay people like you think? It's more, it's like, what are the real experiences they have every day? And those like, those real nuanced ones that you go, oh, right, I know that. I, I really just just love the the intentionality through which you uh, approach it. Thank Adam, you. Adam, they canceled it today. Or they, it was well, yeah, no, I saw, it's, also, it's also like, I'm like, it's a great example for content, but not a great example for execution because there's also like rumors of like the onset behaviors of the showrunners. Yeah. So it's a little bit like, right. oh, I, Things I wish I didn't know, but yeah, well, by the time you're wa- listening to this, the other two is their last episode is this week. So watch it and then I guess forget about it. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, one one that always strikes me from like the the authenticity question is like I remember um, I listened to uh, Pop Culture Happy Hour that NPR puts out, and I remember them talking about Shit's Creek and like everybody that's on. Uh, the show loves Shit's Creek, and I love Shit's Creek. And but then listening to Glenn Weldon as a as a uh, you know as an elder gay man, uh, being like, look, it's it's in this like every other story that you know you got the one guy who's experienced, who's been out for a long time, yes. who's been in lots of relationships with men, and then the one guy who has just like come out and immediately they fall in love and everything is great forever, and it's like. That like there's a real difference in that in the power structure of that relationship that uh like they don't ever get into and it's it's really you know written in a very loving way but not in like a knowing way. Yeah, that's it's funny we have a with a lot of these other crater crushes with some folks we've talked about like you know gay one hundred and one and then gay because like gay one hundred and one is usually like the coming out stories and everybody needs those and everybody needs to see themselves in the experiences particular to their coming out their specific coming out of whatever that might be and then like you know we want 201 where like people are living their truth and being who they are but i love what you're describing which is 202 which is like really being honest and thoughtful about the scenarios and situations that people are finding themselves in besides just like oh yeah they're living their truth so yeah there's a whole like i don't know we're slowly but surely i think coming up with ideas on how to organize this content enough to be we need more 202 content that like really gets into the realities of, of what people experience and how they experience that. Um, yeah, I, I think often the difficulty with that is uh, those characters have to be the main characters in the story and it has to keep going <laughs> long enough for you to tell a long-term story. Right. Unfortunately, the current media landscape is not particularly friendly to. Yeah, bingo. Clark, I feel like you have a question that might have been a fever dream or may have been. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I do. I do want to say I've had the exact same situation as Shit's Creek where like I was having a very confusing relationship with a once straight guy. And I was like, I don't want to be the only person he's ever had sex with. It just would be awkward in the same power <laughs> dynamic. Um, yeah, I have a question, which I, I don't know whether I read it or didn't read it or decided it was in a dream when I was thinking about this uh, interview we were going to do. But I think in some sort of acknowledgement or something at the time you acknowledge your daughters and the fact that as a father of daughters um you were trying to like na- navigate how with media they would um learn feminism or like dealing with like the quasi issues with dizzy princessism did i make that up 
no, definitely. I, I, I try not to use the phrase as a father of a daughter. No, I did the research. I just don't know whether it actually existed or not. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. It, it sounds like it's almost certainly something, something I have said at some point because uh, I definitely like, you know, there was uh, bef- like I wrote Princeless before uh, before Princess and the Frog came out or, you know, Tangled. I had started this book already and like, um, you know, the there was definitely a concern for me about like girls are not you're not going to get them to not like princesses like everybody likes princesses, right? Like you can't convince them princesses suck and uh then like get them to read other types of stories but like you can tell a story about a princess that like you know uh in my case in the case of princess like saves herself has other interests other stories can do other things um you know you gotta you gotta meet them where they're at um yeah and then tell you you can still you can tell good princess stories um you know we've been doing We've shifted the narrative in superheroes quite a few times. Yeah, I've been having an issue where my four-year-old niece has gone to this place where she's like, knitting is only for girls and this, that, and the other. And like, where did you get this from with your incredibly liberal feminist family? And <laughs> I just don't know. How, like, how do you counteract that the best? Um, Without I just saying, like, no, it's wrong. Yeah, I, I think it's important to like... Uh, I think the the one show that I saw that um, as Princess was coming out that I, I was watching it, I was like, wow, this is this is really good is uh, Star versus the Forces of Evil, um, because part of what it does is like Star is, as the main character, like very feminine. She really likes pink. She likes frilly things. Um, she, you know, is really into unicorns and stuff like that. But she is also you know, an incredibly powerful warrior and, and magician that like, you know, she has a wand, she has a sword, but she also has, you know, a, a pretty dress. And, uh, you know, who doesn't who doesn't want a pretty dress? Like, I think, you know, tying all those things together is is important on, on like many levels. Um, but like being being able to tell stories about different people, sorts of people being heroes, is important. And like, it was always something that I, I noted in Wasp that like, I I want her to wear dresses and skirts and frilly stuff and like you know she doesn't need to be an Amazon like that's not the point um, you know to be to be a hero she doesn't have to be just this one thing um, which I, I think is important not just in that respect but also like bringing it back to um, queer characters a question I got on a, a panel that I've I've thought a lot about. Um, is like why are there like just within the last five or ten years like why are there so many lesbian superheroes and so many fewer like queer male superheroes and i think a lot of that is still like in comics and in superhero comics in particular like we tie uh like femininity intrinsically to weakness in a lot of ways Mm. and so like having a male character who is perceived as feminine is really like for some reason difficult for like people to get over in these stories um in a way that like having a female character who is portrayed as being more masculine or stronger physically is is not a not as big of an ask for some people um you know i I think we see that a lot with even like 
Wiccan, who's like one of the best new characters that's that's been created in the last 20 years and is still like never had a solo book. Like they really have a hard time figuring out what to do with uh, you know, with him and Hulkling or really with any of the like uh queer male characters in, in superhero comics. They just they're like, all right, they came out now. They have a boyfriend who is not a character who previously exists in comics and is not a superhero because you can't have, you can, I guess you can't have a a, a bottom who's a, a superhero. I don't know. Um, yeah, North North Star and Kyle, they just brought some yeah. normal human in there. Talk about them a lot, certainly. Of like, yeah. people seem to love them, but certainly this podcast is always just like, just give the fucker power, like make them both this power couple. Like, uh, I always think of Midnighter and Apollo from DC of like. I mean, they're obviously like a bit more machismo representation, but at least like they're just a fucking gay couple that's doing shit. Like let people have that. Nothing yeah. is funnier to me than X-Men superhero member of Alpha Flight North Star and his husband, Kyle. Like it's just <laughs> like it's so it's so weird. Uh, like Kyle doesn't have a code name, doesn't, you know, nothing. Um, yeah, and then Kyle just sort of like popped up out of thin air because they they wanted to to give North Sarah a boyfriend yeah. and uh he just I guess hangs around the mansion occasionally and um wanders yeah. into other books. And then they brought they just shoved a child on them like very recently, which was the child that died of, of AIDS in like the North Star coming out issue. They're like, sure, she was a mutant also we'll throw it at her. Throw it at him. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh okay. Boy. Even less chance for those characters to really have functional books. <laughs> or taking two steps forward and one step back. It's yeah. still progress. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about um, how Coven of Chaos is going to do with their treatment of Wiccan. Wick, well, because the comics have made him like, he's basically just a Scarlet Witch. They've made him like more of like his mother to the point where it's almost just the same thing. I mean, Except for his boyfriend. Yeah. We already characters. Yeah. I love the the Kieran Gillen version of the Young Avengers. I'm yeah. I'm just like such a sucker for that run. It's so good. They're all portrayed so well, and people have had so much trouble following up on pretty much any of those. But Kate, um, you know, if everybody else is, they've had just so much trouble making any of them stick um, or or work in any sort of real way, and that they then felt the need to do everything that they've done to the continuity of America Chavez is unfortunate. Oh my gosh. Three times over or something's exhausting. Just keep the first one. Yes. Yeah, I, I have very strong feelings about America Chavez because I was like, Marvel went like 70 years without having a Wonder Woman. And then like they got one and they were like, what do we do with a Wonder Woman? <laughs> like, what if we just made her worse? Uh, like every time she shows up, what if we just made her worse? Which, to be fair, is was DC's theory with Wonder Woman for a long time too. But yeah, it's like they they got a Wonder Woman who is you know not only Wonder Woman but Puerto Rican and an alien. Like she's you know she's great. She's perfect. No notes, nothing needed. Um, and then they have, have done nothing but sort of undermine what Kieran set up in that book. Um. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, we are coming kind of to our end. So we're, I wish we had like a cracking thunder sound because now we're ready for <laughs> our Mad About You lightning round. We're going to keep this really sweet. We're going to jump into what used to be 
uh, Mary Fuck Kill. But then we realized, like, as we started adding more diverse slates of guests, we were like, okay, well, maybe these aren't hitting as well. So we're now calling it power ranking. So we really want to see you just rank. We're going to give you three choices and you rank them based on your personal preference. You can provide as much evidence or theory as you need. Um, okay. They're usually tied. You'll probably see some themes connected to it. We'll start on the easier side. So villains, you've got Dr. Doom, Maker, and Monica Rappuccini. How would you power rank those in terms of your personal preference? Uh, maker at the bottom. Um. <laughs> it's a maker what if reed richards was a dick we're so close already um <laughs> like uh and then i think i think rabbicini's got to be above him she's great i love her i would put her in everything if i could but nobody else is dr doom um you know nobody else can say half of the sentences that sound perfectly normal coming out of dr doom's mouth um <laughs> Dr. Doom is responsible for me having an, an unusual vocabulary as a, you know, fifth grader, so. <laughs> I love That's that. That's a great, that is a great personal preference for to have him on the top. Uh, next round, uh, series, My Little Pony, Rainbow Bright, or Vampirella? These are my own, my own experience. Yeah, no, uh, the concept, uh, what is that called? They're the... The actual, like, take your take your stuff out of it. It's just the okay. properties the, themselves. The, the IPs, yes. Yes, exactly. That's what that's the word I was looking for. This is going to be an unpopular uh, <laughs> ranking. Um, Rainbow Bright at the bottom, unfortunately. Uh, we were really we were really doing our best in in the Dynamite series to like give her an actual world that makes sense, but. Um, <laughs> Watching the old cartoons, it's uh, other than the the movie, which has a great villain, has like a whole story. The episode to episode cartoons are are very like eighties. What are we selling this week? Um, yeah, what yeah. card are we using right now? Yeah, what you know what <clears throat> what do we want to put out? I do love telling people that Rainbow Bright belongs to Hallmark. That really blows people's minds. Um, oh, that's that, right. Like, I do know that. That's Care Bears too, yeah. right? Uh, not Carebears anymore. Oh, um, yeah. I think they, they Carebears did belong to one of the greeting card companies at one point, but I, I think so few people realize that uh, there was like a greeting card mascot war between Hallmark and Rainbow Bright and American Greetings and Strawberry Shortcake. Um, mm -hmm. And like American Greetings eventually was like, what the fuck are we doing making cartoons and sold it to Hasbro? <laughs> <laughs> and Hallmark has just held on to Rainbow Bright the whole time. Every couple of years, they try to make a comeback with it. Um, Wild. So that's Rainbow Bright's probably uh, at the bottom. Vampirella, I think, has to be in the middle because um, that is there is no wider spread of of like quality of content than Vampirella. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, she is a completely different character from creator to creator. Um, you know, we did a whole like big post-apocalyptic Mad Maxi, uh, but gay thing with Vampirella, um, that I I really enjoyed and was fun and was like over in five issues. And then, uh, you know, the next run was Christopher Priest, and it was it is as if nothing had ever happened in the last ten years. Um, <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. For yeah, most and, yeah, and then, uh, I mean, I got to put My Little Pony at the top. It's uh, 
that i feel like that uh that show saved my life because uh i had a i had a child who really loved dora the explorer and um you can only take so much of that goddamn <laughs> map song before you want to just kill somebody um and that like that show is so it's, they're only like 20 minutes long but everyone is exactly the same they just replace the items um so it, that used to drive yeah. me insane and like we discovered friendship is magic and i remember watching the first couple episodes and being like actually this is good like the writing <laughs> is good the stories are, are good the characters are at the very least consistent and do different things um every episode and like it's, it's funny um yeah and then that leading somehow to me writing 60 issues of my little pony comics <laughs> Talking well, just there you go. It's great, good inspiration. It just made me realize that, like, when I was six and I went to a psychologist, she allowed me to take uh, like one set of toys home with me. And she had me choose, and this was definitely like her tricky. Like, is he straight or gay? And I took the entire My Little Pony castle and all the Flutter ponies <laughs> back with me. And I was like, that piece of shit. I know what you're doing now. <laughs> uh, you're right. Getting even harder, uh, Gwenpool, Julie Powers, and Nadia. You monster. I did not Ugh. write this one. <laughs> just pick your number one. You don't have to say two or three. Yeah, that's fair. You can just, if you had to, we can, there, you know, we can say they're all winners after it, but is there a top you have amongst those three? Um, that's tough. I mean, I, I do. I do love Julie. I would love to write more with her. Um, unfortunately, uh, the stories I've I've gotten to do with her are not always quite as long or quite what I, I want them to be. Um, I, I would love to do more stuff with her, but I think it's a close race between Nadia and Gwen. Gwen, uh, I think, just barely loses out. I love, like, I grew up on sort of meta humor stuff. I was, you know, a, a sucker for like Douglas Adams and things like that. So the very like act of getting to write this character who knows she's in a story was wonderful for me. I love that kind of like humor. Um, all that stuff is, is great. But Nadia is, she's my baby. Uh, you know, <laughs> she went from like, I was the first person to write her as not a character who was like, eighth banana in the avengers book um you know also appearing in this book um and uh you know we really got to i think turn her into something very special um so she has a a place in my heart love that well, would you write our... yeah, would you it. write a power pack series or mini series oh based on the fact that you used alex as well yeah i i love the power pack uh I, I would absolutely write that. Um, it's probably mostly going to uh, focus on uh, Julie and Katie, but you know, <laughs> um, I I love all of them. And Alex's powers, uh, I don't I don't know how he doesn't appear in more stuff because there's so much like fun to play with, uh, manipulating gravity and everything. Is there's so many interesting things you can do with that. Um, that's just like Storm. Like there's so many things you can do with Storm that like. You know, once they started throwing her to other planets, I was like, oh, she can make it rain diamonds here. That's like, <laughs> she's on a, she's on another level at every other planet. I like yeah. the fact that Power Pack are one of the few characters that are allowed to age. 
like Alex was not what he is now. Like in in um in FF, you have Julie and Alex as having like wild amount of abs, and I'm like, where did the, where did this come from, character? <laughs> yeah, it's you know when you're uh, when you do nothing but be in you know teen teams all the time. Eventually, you gotta you gotta get the abs. I figure <laughs> if you're flying around all the time like Julie is, you gotta be able to like. Hold that. She's, hold it down. You got to get yeah. your She's doing crunches out. in the air. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, my final one, but I think we already know the answer, was Yorkshire Terror, Platinum Retriever, and Dogue. But I feel like you've already, in the course of the interview, identified that Yorkshire Terror was your your fave. I mean, this one's close. Dogue obviously loses out, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> I love I love writing uh, Terror but like platinum is so sweet he's such a good dog um you know he, he does so much for frankie like that uh going back and reading the stories he's always someone that i'm like it's a good dog um so <laughs> he, he might be my favorite even though terror is my favorite to write i love that adam can terror be your favorite so we all have different favorites Oh, yeah, because I, I did okay, actually okay. really enjoy Yorkshire Terror's issue. I thought it was super well, like his whole introduction stuff. I thought it was, you knocked it out of the park. So, yeah, I, I'll take him. I love it. No, he is uh, actually the one, if I were to write a solo story about one of the dogs, it would definitely be about Terror. I have, like, a whole, like, noir Batman the Animated Series, like, pitch for, for him. So I love it. Because well, maybe it's... I was going to say, maybe it's just me, but... um my personality like the fuck you of it all definitely dog it's, that's, that's where i had in my mind <laughs> i uh i was i it was only because especially in thinking and i hope obviously it continues to get good buzz and get pickup because like particularly with the dog night like i saw i could see the cartoon show or like the movie or something and i i you know like i'm no movie exec but like that particular sequence where you know yorkshire terror really shows up and gets time with frankie i was like oh this would be one of those iconic moments of the movie or the, you know, the TV show, whatever, where people love that and it gets, in, it gets embedded in their brain. So, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity to kind of keep growing that property for, for sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's uh, well, definitely in the, the month that's been out, the one I've seen sort of quoted and thrown back in the most reviews is I definitely saw somebody whose entire review of it was justice is my belly rubs. Um, <laughs> I mean, what sells, sell. Get that. <laughs> um, what? So you, you were talking about that you're on the, the road, I think. So do you have any, what are the, you know, upcoming Comic-Con, sci-fi conventions? Where can we find, kind of find you um, this, this, the rest of this year? Um, so I'm uh, taking July off. I'm not doing San Diego because uh, that's insane. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just a lot. Um, I think in uh, August, I am doing a, I think the only thing I'm doing is a My Little Pony convention called Everfree Northwest, which is up in Washington. Um, and then in September, I'll be at uh, SPX in, in Bethesda. Um, oh, be a, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Do that. Yeah, that's, that's a great show. Uh, a lot of fun. Um, and then I'm doing Granite State Comic Con the week after that. Um, and then uh, I'm doing <laughs> the Boise Comics Art Festival which I'm excited about because it's being held at a zoo. Uh, <laughs> Amazing. Sell comics at the zoo. I love it. 
Um, well, thank you so much for being on, Jeremy. Uh, you know, is there anything else you want to plug? Where can our listeners find you? You know, the whole song and dance at the end of a podcast. Yeah, um, um, the Dog Night is, is out now anywhere books are sold. If you don't see it, you can order it because it comes out through Macmillan. So everybody can buy it. Um, the uh, School for Extraterrestrial Girls book two is actually coming out in November uh, from Paper Cuts. So if you haven't read the first one, it, it's out there now and the, the second one is upcoming. Um, and uh, as far as finding me, I am on Twitter at jrome58. It's J-R-O-M-E 58. And uh, my website is jeremywhitley.com. And like I mentioned, I have uh, my own podcast where we talk about uh, horror movies and progressive politics. So if you're looking for recommendations for queer horror, feminist horror, uh, you know, horror with more diversity, uh, you can check us out at Progressively Horrified um, on whatever your podcatcher is and, and read about whatever we're talking about at uh, Prague Horror Pod on Twitter. I love it. Lightning, lightning round. What is your favorite oh or one of your favorite horror movies? I mean, I have to ask. We were talking about horror movies. I gotta gotta get this information. Uh, yeah, The Babadook is my favorite. Um, yeah. Because that is one that uh, stuck with me. It really, really bothered me on like a, a deep level uh, <laughs> when I was watching it and uh, was at the same time also not sleeping and had a young child. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> This is, this is terrible um this is the worst thing for me to watch right now but it, it's oh it's really stuck with me so it's basically like that and then anything with uh the jordan peele directs and we actually have a progressively horrified list of uh everything we've done for the last two years ranked on uh on our um uh damn it what's that movie uh what's that movie website um imdb the other oh, letterbox what is it letterbox there we yeah. go yeah yeah it's on letterbox so uh every every year for our anniversary we go through and uh rank everything that we've watched so you can okay. see the whole list all the way from i think uh i let me all, all the way from the best stuff to uh don't speak at the bottom i'm sure <laughs> we mustn't movie. forget that Baba Duke is inadvertently a, a gay character per Netflix's accidental d- d- reasoning and the fact it's that he's icon. constantly a pride now gay icon <laughs> Baba Duke Baba Duke and Pennywise well, more power to them we love them forever um, <laughs> as for us you can find us on Twitter at Homo Superior X on Instagram at Homo Superior Podcast if there are other great writers, artists, and all thing nerd, nerd culturistas you'd like to hear us chat with, make sure to slide into our DMs. We have been Homo Superior. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks again, Jeremy. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye.